what Paul is wanting from them, that they will help Phoebe, who has brought the gospel uh, or the, the book of Romans and, and you know, all that it tells us about the gospel to this church. They would welcome her because she's coming to them. And it says this about her. She has been a patron of many and of myself as well. It's an interesting word choice for us anyway. It's interesting because we just don't use the word patron very often. When we do, what do we usually mean? Patron of what? Say that again? We'll talk about patron saint. We've heard that kind of thing, right? Patron of the arts is the way that we normally would use the word. It's kind of narrowed its usage. But the idea here is that she has some means, some blessing, even financial, even some you know, positional. Some, there's something there in which she is, when you talk about a patron of the arts, you're thinking about someone who is a supporter of it, someone who is helping so that they can flourish. And so Phoebe has, um, has been a patron of many and of Paul. She has been not, not just, I don't think, a servant as anybody could be a servant, but that she would have some particular means of helping that's beyond that. So he commends her to them and asks that they help her in whatever needs that she would have as she has brought this letter to them. And then it says, greet Prisca and Aquila. And if you look other places in the New Testament, you're going to find out that usually what we get is Priscilla and Aquila. You know, you know those, you've seen those before? These are one and the same. You see that in 1 Corinthians, 2 Timothy. You see these in other places. Um, in Acts 18, uh, you get uh, Priscilla there as well. This is a, a couple, and it says, greet them. Uh, and then it just all these greetings, okay? Greet them, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. And so... The, he's, he's sending his greeting to them because they have been such a great blessing. Um, the great blessing that, that they have given may be uh, in, the, in the way that um, they blessed Paul maybe in Ephesus. This is a lot of scholars think that's probably what's happening is that uh, when there were troubles in Acts 18 in Ephesus for Paul, they were um, the, the fellow workers who risked their necks for Paul. Um, it's actually Acts 19 in, in which it gets into that. Uh, but that's probably what's happened here. And so he sends his greeting to them. Now, remember, Paul has not started the church in Rome. He doesn't plant the church in Rome, but he knows some in the church in Rome. And that's what we're getting here is he's sending his greetings to them. He is sending uh, different words of, of blessing or, or information, something in, in order to share his love for them. It, it's a greeting, right? It's a it's a Hello. He's not just writing this generically to the church, but also there are sp specific people he wants to mention. And maybe he has met some of them along the way. Maybe some of them he's only heard of. Maybe some of them he's never met face to face, but he knows their story. He's, he's heard about them. He's gotten, you know, whatever information. And so he sends greetings to all of these people for different reasons. So you've got Priscilla and Aquila. So I don't know how you'd pronounce that. Prissa, Priscilla or the way it looks, Prisca, which doesn't sound like a really cute shortened girl name, right? Or something like that. Um, but notice, it, actually here, she's listed first. This is kind of interesting. 
and it's not the typical way that it would be written. It would be written with the, the man first and then the, the, the woman second. Um, there are other places in Scripture where it's listed in this order, and then there's at least one place where it's listed in the opposite order. So is there a purpose to the order? Uh, is there some way that she has uh, served differently in a way that, or you know, maybe Aquila and Priscilla, or uh, Priscilla and Aquila, maybe it rolls off the tongue better? I don't have any idea, but there's a... Um, it's just interesting the choice of the way this is ordered. And it says, greet also the church in their house. So that he, he recognizes that there is a, a local church that meets in their house. And there were in lots of places and still around the world in many places. Uh, in, in America, it seems more like a novelty idea. It seems more like a, a cute, cutesy way of doing things because... We're Americans, you know, we shop at Walmart, right? I mean, we have everything, everything's big one-stop shop. And that's the way we do the, the meeting of the gathering of the church is we think of it as this giant organization and the, the bigger and more giant it becomes than, you know, the better. And we want it to be giant, but it doesn't mean, and, and, and this is what I think we can get from this, it doesn't mean that it has to be. Um, as a matter of fact, in lots of ways, a part of the way we want to function as a church is focused on our, our community groups, our smaller groups. And we don't want you to think of those as something gimmicky or, you know, we're trying to do one flavor of those or one way of doing those. We want you to just think of what, what does it mean to be a biblical community? Go to Acts chapter 2, where it talks about how they devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the prayers, the breaking of bread and all these things. And, and just think, how can we do those things together? How can we love the neighbors around us? How can we do that? Well, what we tend to do is we tend to build buildings and then we all drive in, go inside, do our thing, get back in our cars, drive back out, and then we go about our regular lives that often don't have a whole lot of Christ flavor to them. And what we see in the early church and, and often um, as they would gather together, they would gather in public places, but then there were times when they could not. And there are times when you know, the church is recognized as meeting in particular locations, but usually we find those locations as either like the outer court of the temple, like they'll go and, and they'll gather in that place because that was where, you know, uh, the, the center point of worship in Judaism um, that gives birth to our, the Messiah, right? And so they would, they would start there, and then, of course, their persecution comes, and they go into other cities, and they go, and then the easiest thing to do is say, well, let's just start meeting as the church. Let's start focusing on these things. And so what do you do? Well, we have to go buy property. You know, we have to go build a building. For, for some reason, as Americans, we've gotten our son. It's not just Americans, but it's um, much of the world. Um, and this even happens on, on mission trips often where, where um, the, the focus of the mission trip is, oh, these, this poor church in so-and-so location in the world, they don't have a building. Like, we got to go build them a building. And it's just, it, you know, let, let's, let's teach them to be the church. The, 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 the church can be the church without the building. And so um, it's not that I'm, I'm against having a building. We're in one, okay? I'm not against it. I'm just saying we can de-church the church by making this the church rather than us going out and being out. And so you have them with this church in their house. It's just... It's a, it's a, it's, your house is a part of your rhythm of life. Coming here changes the rhythm of your life and to add something else to it. You see, you're, you're already in your house. 
you already are going to each other's houses for different things, and that is a nice uh, rhythm to be in. And so they, they have this house. It's not, it's not a house church per se, because that is kind of a, I can, I can give you a book on how to do house church, and you can read it, and it talks about this is the way you run a house church. The church is the church. It's the people of God who are living faithfully and are focused on the right things together. And so we can do that anywhere. We can do that absolutely anywhere. I'll leave it at that. Greet my beloved Epineatus, Epineatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. That's cool, right? So, so Paul is giving kind of this, this, this hit list of, uh, hit list, probably not the right way to put it. Um, Asia, Asia would be um, uh, like modern day thinking, like Turkey kind of area. Uh, you know, we think of Asia a little bit differently, you know, thinking more toward China or, or, or Russia or something like that. Um, but it was the first convert, you know, on the Mediterranean, you got the Mediterranean, you got Israel over here. And then as the gospel goes up, here's the first convert. And so what happens is, is you get uh, often the people who have come to Jerusalem and they've come to worship and then they hear about this Jesus, right? Because Jesus... Uh, when he dies, there's all these people gathered in Jerusalem uh, from other places. And so you have God-fearers, and then you have people that go, and then you have them bringing the gospel with them as they head back to their homes and other places. Uh, that's what's happening there. It's kind of like in the book of Acts, where you have the Ethiopian eunuch who's reading Isaiah, who's not getting it, and then Philip is sent by the Spirit to go and to help explain, right? And then you have, you have him going to Africa. You have the first convert that we know of going back to Africa as Ethiopian dude. So um, that's kind of what's happening here as well. Uh, and Paul is sending his greeting to him. Greet Mary who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. Now there's some debate upon whether or not uh, Junia is a man or a woman. Now Junia sounds like a man or a woman? Anybody want to name their son Junia? No, yeah, a woman, right? It sounds like that. And it probably is. I, I, I tend to think it is um, a woman, but there is a, there's a Latin uh, way of doing it. There, uh, or, uh, there's, there's, a way, there's a way of writing it uh, in the language you know, of the, that culture in which you would write it the same way, whether it was male or female. And so there's been some debate. And there's also some concern because if some read this, it says, my kinsman... And my fellow prisoners, they are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. And so some interpret that as meaning like they are apostles. Like they, like they belong in the company of the apostles. They're equal to the apostles or something like that. And some will read it that way. I don't think that's, it doesn't read that way in, in my Bible. It doesn't read that way in my, in my studies. Um, it, it doesn't, I don't think there's any reason to see it that way, but it is someone who has done some type of missionary work. And so if it is a man and woman, and I think that it is, uh, this couple, they have a, a, a great missionary work that they have been doing. And so they are kinsmen. They are uh, those who are taking the gospel as Paul is taking the gospel and going in, um, to, to, to new places. The apostles were known for not just being the ones who just stayed put and became the first 12, you know, leaders of the great church and 
the high council and they just got together and they discussed things and they made all the decisions for the church. No, they were the first missionaries. They, they, they were not called to be apostles so that they could have some power and privilege and money. They were called to be apostles so they go out and give their lives away. And they go out and get their hands and their feet dirty. And so when he greets them as kinsmen, he's saying, these are people who are getting their hands and their feet dirty. And they are fellow prisoners. They're ones who have suffered, as Paul has suffered in prison. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Um, Paul was not one of the first converts. I mean, he was in the whole scheme of things. But in, you know, in the early church, Paul was not one of the first converts. He came a little bit later, and we see that in, in Acts. Um, so they were in Christ before he was in Christ. And they're well known to the apostles. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved somebody, Stacy, Stachus. Um, it just, the, the greetings just keep going. So, I mean, you know, if you're those people, you're getting the greeting, but then you start reading this going, okay, I don't think I would take so much time trying to figure out how to pronounce it, number one. Like, is that really that important for us? It is if you're going to do some type of study or try to find these people other places in Scripture. But a lot of these people are not found other places in Scripture. And so as these names are given, they are helpful for those who know them or for, the, obviously, the people themselves. But they sort of run through. But don't, don't lose track. Don't tune out because there's meaning here. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Is, is, that's a good way to get it, right? It sounds like you get a check mark. Right? Hey, Paul wrote, mentioned my name, and I got a check mark. I'm A OK, right? I'm certified or something. I don't know exactly what that means, but who has approved it? Maybe it's somebody who people would think is not approved in Christ. Maybe there's been some type of problem. I mean, this is, this is things that we just can't know unless we find them other places in Scripture. But maybe there's some reason that Paul needs to let the church know. I'm sending my greeting to that particular person because they're approved in Christ. Some people don't think so, but they are. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. There's, there's two places where it mentions family here. Um, uh, you have Aristobulus, and then you have greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. And in both places where it says family there, the commentators all say the same thing. And it's, it's just interesting that they say this and they don't, they don't even try to defend it uh, so much as they, they just realize this is just the way it is. And, and it, what it is is this, is when it says family there, it's probably pointing to the slaves that belong to these people. It's just interesting, like that, where does that come from? Like how, why would that be there? What, where, what is that? Why? why the, why the slaves are, are, are mentioned. But notice it says they're of the family. They're of, they're of the family. As if now they're treated differently. Maybe they've become converts. and uh, I mean, Whatever it is, um, it's a very interesting thing that Paul is sending his greetings to many of these who are probably slaves or you know, these kinds of servants at the time. Um, by the way, Aristobulus, uh, because of his name, um, may be the grandson of Herod the Great, who would be the brother of Herod Agrippa. 
very sort of an interesting because of that name. Uh, they can connect that name as uh, as a possibility of being a part of that family. It'd be an interesting. It'd be a reason that Paul would know this is somebody of of you know that family lineage and and power. Um, and then you have people obviously these these names. These are not Jewish names. I mean, you get that right. When you think about Jewish names we see in Scripture, and then you see these names, you can see that Paul is writing to a place that has a different background, that, has, uh, that doesn't have that, that Jewish background. Uh, for instance, in verse 11, Herodian, Herod, right? You get somebody uh, who's named that, but now there's somebody that we don't think of as somebody that's bad. We think of him as somebody that's good. So, I mean, it's, it's neat that we can... Think about your own name or your family name or your, your family's history or their connections or, you know, some problem that they've had. Uh, I, I don't know that I would want to grow up with the last name Blagojevich. You're probably not going to be mistaken as, you know, well, that could be one of the other Blagojeviches. I mean, right? I mean, you just wouldn't go, are you that Blagojevich? I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? It would be that. Uh, I'm not saying that to, to be cruel, but I mean, think about having that name. Of, of carrying that name with you and the, the great notoriety. Um, my understanding, by the way, that uh, when Rod got to prison, he was high-fived by all of his fellow prisoners. He's now uh, become the Grand Poobah or something. I, I mean, seriously, I'm, I'm being very serious. Um, I don't know if you saw some of that uh, news. <laughs> news. There's news you can use right there. Um, but those names, those names that carry weight, they carry background, they carry sin. But now Paul sends his greetings to people with those names, with those backgrounds, and with those sins. Isn't that, isn't that neat to just watch? That's what the gospel does. So, so whatever your background is, whatever your family history, whatever you're known for, whatever, if you go back to your high school reunion, and it's been many, many years, and you haven't seen everybody, and they would remember you as the one who smoked doobie, or you know, the one who listened to that you know, those kinds of bands or wore those kinds of clothes or did those kinds of things with those kinds of girls or boys or, you know what I'm saying? And now you go back and you go back with Christ and your name carries that old heritage, but now you have a new name. And though people will remember you for who you were, now you go as someone else. Paul is greeting all of these people <laughs> And speaking of names, Narcissus, gotta love that, right? How would you like to be named Narcissus? Not just because it sounds like an awesome name if it had no meaning to it, but then you get the meaning behind it, right? Not so good. Um, and, then, and then it lists three women in verse 12. Tryphenea, try... Right? The, the Tri sisters or something? I don't know. Um, so you've got, you've got those two who are listed as workers in the Lord. He's not just going, oh, and, and let, let's mention some women too. These are workers in the Lord. Paul's not writing this letter going, hey, I've decided to give a shout out to my friends, right? To my peeps. Here we go. These are, these are my besties. No, he's, he's greeting them as workers in the Lord. This is a purposeful letter. So as he's sending this greeting to, to individuals here at the end, he's doing that because there's, 
there's meaning in calling out these great workers in the Lord who are not just co-workers with Paul, but who the church then will see Paul pointing to as the workers. And so as Paul mentions their names, that adds some weight to them as leaders, as workers, as servants, as deacons, as all of those kinds of things. Great the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. How many would say that about you? How many would say that about you? Even in the church, where that should be more well known, you know, who would know you as the one who would be listed in the greetings at the end of a letter of this is, these are the people who work hard in the Lord? These three women are listed there as workers. Although he says, greet these workers in the Lord, and then he says, the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. It's like, ooh, she got some favorable treatment there. But obviously there would be a recognition that she has. I mean, you, you know, you know who the ones who have worked harder, who have put in more effort, put in more time or, or whatever else. Greet Rufus. Oh, Rufus. Thank you for having a normal name. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Maybe, again, somebody needs to recognize that he's chosen in the Lord. Maybe they don't think he is. I don't know. But then notice this. He says, say hi to his mother for me. Right? Also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Love that. We're going to come back to that. Greet a syncretist. Uh, I love that name. Syncretism. The idea of sort of bringing all religions together, you know, to, as they, they all kind of work together, the syncretism. That's uh, it's an interesting name. Greet a syncretist. Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. And then it lists a few more. Philogus, Philologus. It's like I can't see straight. I'm trying to count how many L's are in the, in, the, in the name so I pronounce it correctly. Julia and Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Notice again the use of saints. We've got to start bringing that kind of language back into the church because it's supposed to be who we are. And imagine, I mean, I, I can just call you by your name and that doesn't expect anything of you, but I call you a saint. There's an expectation, right? There's, a, there's, there's meaning. There's identity there. And then it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. I, I don't, I can't demonstrate the holy kiss to you. I don't know what it is. I don't know that any of the scholars really know what it is. I don't know if it's like kissing the cheek two times and three times. I don't know if it's kissing the hand or kissing the ring or blowing a kiss. I don't know... I, I can't tell you what the kiss is like except this. It's holy. That's the part you need to get. What's important here is not, you know, was there tongue involved? Like, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not something in which the kiss itself, the, the kiss would only be given in such a way in which it's an expression of a love for someone else who is themselves holy, one of the holy ones, one of the saints. And so it is a holy kiss. You find that again in First and Second Corinthians, First Thessalonians, First Peter. You find this kind of language 
used. You got to think especially where Paul has gone in the book, and especially after chapter 12, as he begins to talk about the strong and the weak and how the strong and the weak are to live together, in that those who don't aren't doing a good job of accepting others, what do they need to do? You welcome them with the holiest of greetings. With the, when we think of a kiss, the word intimacy is a word that we would use. Right? It's like, you can, you're, you're a dude, and you're in high school, you're in college, and there's a girl, and you start talking to that girl, and, you know, there's this kind of, this growing knowledge of each other, but then you're holding hands, or then there's a kiss, and now all of a sudden, a, a, a kind of intimacy, a kind of connection changes, right? It changes. And so, the holy kiss adds a level of intimacy, now, I don't know if you guys want to try to figure out how we can start kissing each other. I'm not necessarily a big fan. You know, I'm, I'm kind of the, the back pat hugger, right? You know, the back slap hugger. And, and I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, when I first became a Christian and people started hugging me, I was like, why are they touching me, right? Um, I, I heard one pastor say, I came from a, I came from a heritage in which... Uh, you could actually hug someone without actually physically touching. Like it was, they just learned to have intimacy without actually touching each other. And, uh, and so, I, you know, there's, people have different, people say I'm a hugger, I'm not a hugger. Uh, I, I think we can take those things um, too far and try to be, oh, I'm too cool for that or whatever. We are to have expressions of intimacy that sh- that's different than the rest of the world. We're to have expressions of intimacy that are different from the rest of the world. And, and the church at large should have that as well. Because it, when Paul writes, he's writing to various churches and he'll use the same language of the holy kiss. And so it's, a, uh, it's, it's something, it's an expression that's been done in many places. What would that be for us? If you watch enough you know, get enough internet, YouTube, Christian junk. You got the Christian side hug. Okay, you heard seen that one? Don't look it up; it'll just wreck your life. But um, it's like a rap song about how Christians look, don't try to get too close. They kind of, you know, do a little side hug thing. And um, how do we how do we express that intimacy with one another? How do we greet each other? Paul's teaching us. He's not just greeting people. This is what's great about about all scripture and about really all of life. What's great is, is that we don't just teach to teach. As a matter of fact, one of the worst ways we can teach is to teach. And yet it's the central thing that we normally do. One of the best ways to teach is to live One of the best things that some of you could do is stop hearing what people are saying and watch the lives of people who are doing it well. Some of the best things I ever learned about parenting were not from what people told me. It was not from a class. I mean, I learned some great stuff from classes and, you know, reading scripture and trying to learn whatever. But one of the best things I did was simply sit in my pastor's house. Molly and I are married and we would sit in the pastor's house. I was an assistant pastor of this church um, and I was working and doing discipleship of guys and different stuff. And 
But then like Sunday night, we would just sit in their house and then they would just scrounge up some food, some snacks, whatever. And we just sit there and hang out and laugh and, you know, throw their children. And, you know, I mean, it was just, it was just stuff you did. And we would just watch what they did. And we picked those things up. And our kids, um, most, well, you know, Sarah met them because she was a baby and wouldn't remember any of it, obviously. But uh, none of our kids have, have ever known them. And yet they've had a I, I can't even tell you the level of influence they have had upon the way that we parent our kids. And some of these things they told us, but much of it was just caught. We caught it along the way because we spent time with them. And so you need to, to uh, you know, life is incredibly frustrating right now. And um, several of you know that and, you know, just telling you about my wife and the things she's going through. Uh, and I, I can't even express how much uh, weight um, we both are feeling just because of how difficult things are for her and difficult for our family. And um, it's every day is a slog. I mean, we're just trying, uh, you, you, like trying to walk through the mud you know, and the mud is eight inches thick and your feet just sink and then your shoe gets stuck in there and you're pulling it out and now your sock is trying to, and you're just, you're trudging through and that's what it feels like every day. And, and it's just, it's, it's all of this weight. And, you know, one of the things that is, that's happening to me is that I'm learning or I'm thinking a lot about how have other people that have suffered, how have they gone through what they've gone through? I can go think about teaching I can think about a sermon that I've heard. I've heard many sermons on suffering. And, and then you think about, you know, missionaries and missionary biographies and stories. And you start going, what is it like when people have suffered? And then you start thinking our circumstances and how are they the same and how are they different? And those examples, those examples that we have seen in the past for years and years and years of, of people who have suffered and suffered well. And you remember those. We think about some of you and just a lot of the time when something happens in our church and as a pastor, as I, I, I think and I pray for you and, I, and I'm thinking about your, your lives and your circumstances and, um, and, and I wish, sometimes I just go, I, I wish that my teaching would stick better because I see things in some of you see it in my own life as well, but you know, I, I see those things and I go, I just, ha, ha, hasn't been something that I've taught many times and it's just not, it hasn't stuck. And you realize uh, when you're a pastor of a church, you, you get all of your uh, failures or inadequacies or, or, or uh, weaknesses, they all get reflected back to you. I heard a pastor say that once. You just, you look around, and, and if you guys could all just kind of keep your eyes up here now, I just, I don't want you to be distracted, because I, I, I really just, I want you to hear this, it's from the perspective of someone who's been given the task by God to teach you, to lead you, and the, the number one thing, the number one way that happens is we open the Bible, and we talk about things, and I give you stuff, and you know, you go, go on iTunes and look how long my sermons are. They're not, you know, I don't preach short sermons. And, um, 
And there's, there's all this teaching, and I've started adding up the hours that I've spent teaching in this church, and then I start thinking about how much of that teaching is being obeyed by, by any of us. And I would say, you know, I, I, and, and this is probably true everywhere, but it's, it's probably a very small percentage. We live in a place, in a time in, in which we have so much freedom and ability to just go do what we want to do that it's very easy to push all that stuff aside and only obey when we really have to. And right now in my family's life, there are certain things, you know, in my own life in which I say, are, are, they, are they slowing me down? Because we need all the strength that we can muster up. And, of course, what I really mean is the strength that God can provide. And, and I can look back at all that teaching, but it's, it's the examples that stick. That, that drive that home. I talked about when, we, when I went to Tacoma several weeks ago, um, I, I had been taught the same things I had been taught there before. Almost all the same things. But they created something that it was not a conference, it was an experience. It was a life. Come live with us for a week. And it changed everything. I got a phone call from a guy this week who I've only talked to on the phone. I've never met him, I don't think. Um, and we know each other over internet stuff as, you know, Christian leaders at different places. And, and so he asked me about this uh, Soma school that I went to. And he, he asked me, you know, what was it like? And I said, I said uh, you know, I've been to great conferences that have taught me great things. And we talked about conferences we both have been to, good ones. And, uh, and I said, you know what? Those conferences taught me so much information, but I came home and I had no idea what it meant. I had no idea how to do it. And I said, then I go and I, and I had to live life with these people and I saw it. And now I get it. And what I really want for you is for you to get it. I, I, I want you to get it. And the way you're going to get it is not by just showing up on Sunday morning and hearing me teach. We've got to be with each other. We've got to be with each other. And so even as Paul writes this letter to the church that he doesn't know, I mean, doesn't know intimately he still knows a number of them and he sends these greetings and we would just pass over these greetings pretty quickly maybe try to find a little nugget in there mostly we just kind of pass through them but you got to realize when paul sends these greetings these individuals he's saying there there are some of you that that i know i know very well and and so he is leading by example by showing these are the leaders these are the workers these are the ones he's showing how to continue that intimacy that he has at some level with them he's trying to express and then he's also showing us this is how you look at the church this is how you look at god's people this is when you greet someone this is how you do it when you talk to a church, this is how you talk. When you instruct someone, this is how you instruct. It's never apart from relationship, it's with them. And so he gives all of these greetings. Greet this person, greet these people, greet this family, greet the whatever. All these workers, all of these chosen, all of these approved, all of these loved. And then he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another. And then he says, all the churches of Christ greet you. I just, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting 
way to just give all these greetings and we're spending a lot of time kind of joking around about these weird names. But then you look and you go, Paul's not with any of these people. He's, he's writing and greeting all these people that he's not with and he's not going to hardly see in his life, but he treats them intimate, in, intimately as family. And he, and he talks about how much he, he loves them and concern for them and, and approves them and all of those things. And that's what the gospel does. The gospel takes non-family and makes them family. And it takes earthly family and with, if the gospel is not there, it starts bringing distance. The minute, the minute I believe the gospel, it immediately created distance between me and my earthly family. And it immediately made me intimate with a whole group of people that I did not know. And some were weird. It was my first experience of Christians. Was I would not be hanging out with these people normally. None of these people would show up at the same bar that I would go to when I was in college. I wouldn't hang out with them. None of them play the sports I play and do the things I do. Some of them were recovering from really agonizing things. But the gospel made us family. And I start spending all my time with them and spending a lot less time with my college friends. And when we did spend time with my college friends, it was often to try to tell them about the gospel or to ask their forgiveness for things that we had done to them. And they, would, they just noticed we started acting different. And they still get together. All these college friends of ours still get together and hang out and do stuff. Because everything that they were centered upon that created that intimacy for them, they still have. And the thing that created intimacy for us with them, we lost. Because God shifted us to a new family. And so we started talking differently to different people about different things. And our name started carrying a different meaning. So the gospel creates family out of non-family. It creates intimacy. This holy kiss. Now your house becomes the location of your church where you gather together. You see? I mean, that's what the gospel does. It builds this intimacy. It gives us language. The holy kiss is not like, well, that's just what the whole culture does. It's what the whole world. You know, kissing on the mouth, you know, for married people and for people in love or whatever is pretty common. But the holy kiss is not. Matter of fact, a lot of times when we see people kissing, we're thinking about how unholy it is, right? I mean, just find a warm day and go drive around the Woodstock Square. You see a bunch of girls who need to put something longer on and who need to stop kissing that boy of all boys for crying out loud. But the gospel creates greater intimacy, a kind of kiss that no one else can give. We came up and we took a meal that no one else can take. And if they try to take it and they don't belong, it doesn't carry the weight. It doesn't carry the meaning. It doesn't carry the relationship. And so while this is absolutely one of the most just sort of ordinary and boring kind of passages, and it's not, I mean, when I get to this point in Romans, I was planning on this series, and, and this is where you can kind of close your Bible because we're just going to close here with prayer, but when we get to this place, I mean, the first thing I thought, and of course I told my wife, I was like, well, we're finally going to get to sing that song after my sermon. So I told her, because I said, I'm not going to go long today. I 
It's, it's greetings to people we don't know. Almost none of them do we have information about. So what do we have to talk about? And what we have to talk about is the example of Paul and the way that he shows how, how he expresses intimacy with certain people, how he leads the church and showing how, how to, to greet each other and, and, and how to love each other and how to be intimate with each other as the church, how you should think about each other, how he, you know, he, he shows there are some who need that approval, who need to, the, the church needs to know who they are. And that they're okay with God, that they have that relationship with him. Maybe those kinds of things are brought together. And then it shows us how to be the church. As much as I just want to pass by and go, this is that part that doesn't really matter. You know, it mattered for the people who heard it. Now it doesn't really matter for us. It absolutely does because it is the example for us. And so you guys need to be looking at each other and thinking about each other's lives. Paul is far from all of these people and yet he has... Almost everybody, notice, almost everybody he mentioned, he, he gives some detail, some information, some knowledge, some, something about their life or who they are or what they've done. Do you notice that? He's not just saying, I'm just going to give a big long list of thank yous. The show's over now, and so we'll have run the credits. This is not the credits. This is an example of an apostle showing how the church should think about itself, think about each other, how they should recognize those workers who have done well and who the apostles know and love. And then this is how we learn to look at each other. How well do you know each other? How many of you would greet each other or or would talk about a particular person in accordance to how they serve the church, the Lord, the, the, the world around them? Or would you say something else? This is the person who likes this hobby, this thing, this sport. This is the person who does this job. This is the person who has this relationship. We've got to start thinking about ourselves differently if we're going to be a family. We've got to start thinking about each other differently if we're going to be a family. We're going to have to bear the, on, on the branches of our lives, the fruit of the Spirit that creates in us and in each other this movement of God into the world with all of these good things. And that's only going to happen. That can only happen when God works through us in such a way that, that we see in the, uh, in the other, in, in each other, who God has made us to be. Molly and I had a talk this week, um, and this is, this is where I'll close. We had a talk this week about um, some things that we were frustrated with, and, and uh, you know, when it, not, not just, uh, I'm not talking about any particular context here because we have these kind of talks all the time, um, but something will happen. And I've used the example before about some things when I've been coaching a, a team, I'm coaching basketball, you know, kids' basketball teams. And, uh, you know, it's, it's always uh, the coach's kids who are the most devious of kids, the, most, the ones who are yelling at the refs. I had a kid get kicked out of a game. I kicked out of a game because he called the ref an idiot. 
yeah, hello, 10-year-old, or whatever. It's like, whoa. Was that, no, not even. Um, um, and so we, we are having this talk about th- that, uh, a kind of circumstance in which, you know, you see people and the things that they do, and then you are, you just got to get frustrated. I was on the phone this week with insurance people. I was frustrated. You get it, right? Um, I'm on the phone with hospital people. I got transferred I, I, eight times. It's like, please get me to the right person or just figure it out. You know, do something. Can somebody do something here? They couldn't even get me to the right department. And, and so, you know, you get frustrated and, you're, and you, start, you, you start complaining and you start grumbling. And then I, I just kind of looked at Molly and, and we, just, we said, you know what? We've got we've to see people. If everybody has to treat me perfect, or if I have to treat them perfect, we're all going to hate each other. That's pretty much the world right now, right? Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's pretty much most churches right now. But we have to look at others as God does. They can change, yes. Every person around you can change because God can change them. I don't care how stubborn they are. I don't care how dumb they act or the things that they do or how mean God can change them. Do we look at people as people that God can change? Or do we look at people and how we're treated or have something that happens to us and then we simply judge them and put them in their place? That's that kind of person. Paul gives a list of people, and you know as well as I do, a bunch of them. These are all Gentiles. They're not growing up as Jews. They don't have that moral system. And I bet you a whole bunch of them were a bunch of nothings, a bunch of problems. And now they all are recognized as hard workers for Christ. We've got to see what it means to be in the family of Christ together. And look at each other that way and treat each other that way. If you stand with me for closing prayer. Lord, we are very thankful for you. You give us new eyes. You stop us in our tracks. So often when we're judging, and when we're sinful, when whatever it is, you, you stop us and wake us up. And, and God, I just pray that today is one of those days when a bunch of us wake up and we start really living as a family together. And we live in a culture that doesn't want us to because it'll make us strong. And it's not that they're against us, it's just that we're just okay being by ourselves. And I just can't... How many times have I... As the pastor of this church had people say, it's, I, I like being here because it's small and everybody knows each other. God, what's wrong with us? There's so many in this world who need Christ. We cannot be content knowing each other superficially. We cannot be content with not serving in such a way that we are seen as fellow workers of the gospel. We cannot be content to just make our 
homes and to places for our families alone. We, just, we can't be content with that, God. And I want to greet everyone in this church as Paul is greeting the Roman church and seeing our work in the gospel. And I want them to greet me that way. And so we need to be different. We need to be different, God. And so I pray, change us. And send your spirit to work on us. Help us to talk about the gospel and hear the gospel and teach the gospel and love the gospel. Help us to talk to each other in new ways. Help us to find new expressions of intimacy that show, that, that reveal that we are a family together. Oh God, would you work? Work in us as your people, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Love you guys.